The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you are in the right place. What a great show we have today. What's the buzz on the street, the buzz on the Internet? The buzz is what's in a name. What is she talking about? Well, let me explain. Machine-to-machine connectivity. Some of you know that as capital M, numeral 2, capital M, M M2M connectivity. Industrial Internet of Things, IIoT, that may be a new one for some of you. Industry 4.0, really? I thought we were 2.0. Whatever all of this means to you, it's the digital manufacturing revolution and The terminology doesn't matter. The name doesn't matter. We're talking about manufacturing, digitization, the digital economy. It's happening. It's here. And guess what? There is tremendous unrealized value available from the digitization of industrial processes, industrial products, industrial services. It's happening. And there's, what do they say? There's gold in them, our hills? Yes, there is. So, Let's look at what it will take to design, build, and maintain digital solutions that can leverage the Internet of Things, leverage product innovation platforms, and reimagine service offerings. Because ultimately, it's what you put on the table that you offer to your customers and your partners and people who are looking to you to be a leader. That's what matters. How are you reimagining in this digital world? We have a panel of three really smart experts who are going to help bring this all down to lay language in case I've been talking over your heads. I certainly hope not. I'm just going to tell you who they are quickly and then I'll introduce them. First up, we're going to be speaking with Marcus Lorenz. It's M-A-R-K-U-S-L-O-R-E-N-Z in case you want to spell and look him up. He's a partner in BCG. That's the Boston Consulting Group's Munich office and he leads BCG's machinery and components sector worldwide. He'll be joined by Russ Lefevre, who's been on some of our Game Changer shows before. Russ leads Cisco's U.S. Enterprise Industry Field Marketing Team. Rounding out the panel is Georg. I was told if I want to say it in English, it's Cube, K-U-B-E. If I want to be European, it's Kube. Global head of the industry business unit for the industrial machinery and components industry for SAP. That's a really long title. So let me introduce first Marcus Lorenz at BCG. And he has sent me, and by the way, the quotes, the opening quotes are all in their own words. No inspirational quotes from anybody else. So Marcus says, machines have always been great. Now we're in the middle of a revolution. Machines are becoming intelligent. What else can we ask for them? Marcus Lorenz, welcome. How are you today? (laughs) Perfect. Good morning, Bonnie. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Are you in Munich right now? I am in Waldorf, so in Germany, but not in beautiful Munich. 
Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. Tell me about this. How intelligent are they? When did they smart being intelligent? Do machines know they're intelligent? Start us off, Marcus. You know, that's a good question. I personally like to think of machinery and maybe automation in general a little bit like the human body. I mean, we see with our eyes, that's like the sensor. We move with our hands, that's the actuation. And we process with our brains, at least mostly. And Mm. when you think of machines, they have classically been like the hands, so they did the actuation for us. Over the past 30 years, we added a lot of sensors to the machines, and that's what you mean with isn't there intelligence in that. What Mm -hmm. What I believe is that the key thing that is intelligence and putting things together, all the data you process, machines are still lacking that. And that is what we are just about to add right now. Do you remember the phrase G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out? Did you ever hear of that? I think one of our panelists might. <laughs> it's, people are putting the data in somehow. People are putting in the intelligence. So if we're not doing it smart, it's not going to come out smart. Do you, you subscribe to that still, Marcus, or has that changed? There is a good point. It's so easy today <laughs> to like absorb four terabyte of data from a single machine, but if you have no clue what to do with that and what the, what the data and what the patterns tell you, and if this particular machine is not connected to the next one, or i give you an example later on from food and beverage where the machine mm-hmm. does not really understand what it's doing, um, all of our beautiful machines will rather do dumb things, and uh, we will change that. I love that. Beautiful machines doing dumb things. And we want to change that to beautiful machines doing smart things for smart people and making people smarter. I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you, Marcus. Pleasure to speak with you. And let's bring on our second panelist. It's Russ Lefevre. Anybody want to look that up? It's capital L, small e, capital F-E-V-R-E at Cisco. And here is Russ's quote. Every business, industry, city, and country will become digital to leverage the unprecedented opportunities brought about by the Internet of Things. Well, we have the word from the mountain, Russ Lefevre. I love it. Good morning, Russ. How are you? Good morning. How are you, Bonnie? I'm fine. Thanks for joining me. It's been a long time. When were you on last on a Game Changer show? About a year ago? Probably about three years. Oh, my God, has time, have I really been doing this four years? Wow. Well, thanks for that historical look back. Russ, talk to me about this. You see, every business, industry, city, and country, that's a lot of things, people, facilities, organizations becoming digital. What does this mean to us? Yeah, so to follow up on Marcus's point, the value of IT has always been derived from the intelligence in the data, the data that's captured. And the thing with data today is it's exploding. There's just so much information now that's being distributed across every part of an organization, whether it's a public sector or a private sector organization, whether it's a small organization, a medium size, or a large enterprise. There's just so much Internet traffic. There's so much information now that's available to be uh, leveraged by the network and then analyzed and assessed uh, it's just it's just a wave, and we can't avoid that. So the ability to aggregate, secure, automate, and draw insights from that data with speed is really where the value is going to come from in the future. And you know, for another another way of looking at it is for about the last fifty years or so, the IT industry has been bringing data to the computer. What we're mm-hmm. seeing now is we're bringing computing to the data, computing via analytics, insights, and actions to the data. That's the key. 
bringing data to the computer and bringing the computer to the data. I want Dave Fowler, our sponsor. Dave Fowler, I want you to tweet that one. Dave is tweeting at handle Dave S. Fowler, F-O-L. F-O-W-L-E-R, and of course, we always tweet at hashtag SAP Radio. Dave, that's something we have to capture from Russ Lefevre. Thank you, Russ. And I'll ask you a similar question to what I asked Marcus Lorenz at BCG. Question is, do the businesses, well, probably yes, but cities and countries, do they know they have to become digital, that it's something that is over, going to just wash over them and bypass them if they don't? Or is this a, oh, really, do we have to now? We'll wait till the next century. What do you observe? Yeah, we, we actually uh, have done some studies, and we, we have done this with our own customer base as well as other organizations, and we believe, based on that, that about one in four businesses today are only really aware and really on board, if you will, of the growing importance of being digitized. We think this is a big risk, actually, for private sector organizations in particular. We think there's a very good chance that a lot of the large organizations, the incumbents that are out there, so to speak, in the global 2000 and so on, are at risk of being displaced if they don't get on board the digital transformation that's, that's being discussed here on this call today. Interesting. So there are laggards and there are probably some that are just uh, maybe pretending they didn't hear about it. And, and of course, during our conversation later with the panel, I'd like to talk about the role of the digital scientist, if that's going to be the hot go-to job for the next, let's say, 10 to 20 years. But we'll get to that later. Russ, thank you again for joining me. Pleasure to speak with you. And our third panelist is Georg, G-E-O-R-G, Kube, K-U-B-E, or Cube if you like to be a little bit lazy. I like the European version. And here's his quote from Georg. Like many revolutionary shifts, the industrial IoT started on the tech level, connecting machines, extracting and analyzing data, creating transparency have been the focus of the last few years. Now it's about integrating new data streams into core enterprise processes and creating Wait for it, wait for it. Here's the quotes, the quote around IoT for business. Interesting. Georg, welcome. How are you today? Well, I'm very good. Thanks, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine. I'm delighted to be speaking with you and your co-panelists. Very interesting quotes. You mean there's something else new? We have IoT. We have IOIT. We have Industry 4.0. We've got everything dot something, and now we have IoT for business. Talk to me, Georg. Well, if you look at... Um, the, the current discussions that are going on there are mainly around extracting data from machinery, from equipment, and then looking at the data and mostly doing something with it, with it almost manually. You would have a thing-to-dashboard almost kind of value chain where people look at the dashboard and say, oh, there's a problem going on with this piece of equipment and that mine over there in South Africa. I'm going to pick up the phone and call the guy to fix it. But we think that it will be just a, a matter of probably a year or two where the signals don't end on the dashboard. They will go directly into the ERP system, into the services system, into the core enterprise systems of the company running the mine to automatically trigger uh, what needs to be done in order to fix that situation. And, and we believe that this is actually going to be like almost the, you know, the boost to this whole idea of digitization that you do not only look at things, but you derive action automatically and you start business processes based on the triggers that you see. And that could be doing a purchase order, issuing a service request, uh, or any, any other business transaction that could be triggered by that, uh, by that event. 
thank you, York. Very interesting. And I asked Russ if companies, businesses, uh, cities, states, whoever else, uh, countries are aware that they need to do this. We talked about the laggard. So my question is, do businesses, countries, cities, whatever entity we're talking about, not only do they know that digitization is coming their way and they have to be part of the digital economy to survive and hopefully thrive, but do they know that there's more to it than just saying, okay, we put some sensors in. Yeah, we got a guy or a woman sitting at a desk with a big sweatshirt mm-hmm. that says, mm-hmm. I am the data scientist, that they have to actually do some work to make it happen? Is that a reality that's going to hit them in the face, or do they know that there's work to be done? You know, it's interesting. I actually think there are there are two groups right here. So the people that talk to us are coming many cases with the question, help me to understand how I can change my business model using these new technologies. So they are basically coming from the business aspect, and they look at this as an opportunity for an IoT for business. But there's also studies going on, and there was one in a major German newspaper just lately that said that almost even more than 80% of German decision makers in the industry do not fully understand the potential of the Internet of Things for their business. So I think we, in our roles, we see the leaders. We see the guys that actually do recognize it. They come to us. They have the right questions. But there's a big group of laggards there, and they could probably be hit hard. I agree. Mm, interesting. So we've got a little human side to this conversation, and I'm going to make it even more human by circling back to Marcus Lorenz at BCG and asking Marcus the probably the toughest question of the day. What are you drinking right now, as in what's in your cup, Marcus, or what would you rather be drinking after the show? I know you have a good answer for me. Talk to me. What's the hot or cold drink of the day, Marcus Lorenz? It's a very, very classic combination, Bonnie. I have a cappuccino from a corporate coffee machine, and I must say for a corporate coffee machine, it's one of the better cappuccinos that you can find. And uh, I just have a still water uh, from the Black Forest. That's the region where I'm also from. So um, I have a good combination already today. And I think it must not necessarily change during the day. Maybe I have a glass of white wine in the uh, evening. Nice. You want to tell us what that white wine would be? Is it going to be a Riesling? Is it going to be a Chardonnay? What's your favorite? A Pinot Grigio, again from the Black Forest, again from the region ah. where I am, uh, where I think you find one of the most uh, or one of the most interesting wines these days in Europe. I think so. Thank you very much for sharing. And Russ Lefevre, where are you calling from today, and what are you thinking about drinking, Russ? Sure. Well, I'm in Las Vegas at a business conference. It's about seven. Oh, stop right morning. there! Stop right there! You can drink anything <laughs> you want. <laughs> so my, my favorite drink Good. right now is a cup of coffee. Last night, my favorite drink was a sangria, which had something interesting. It was um, a submersible LED ice cube. It's a plastic cube with a light inside of it, <laughs> and it was activated by a button, and I grabbed a bunch of them to bring home to my children when I go home. Now, wait a minute. You'd activate the ice cube with the button before you put it in the drink, or does the bartender do that for you? They do it for you, so you get a drink. It's, it's very helpful when you're in an outside, very dark area, so you don't fall into the pool. You have a light bulb, so to speak, in your, in your drink. But, Russ, if you drink too many of the drinks, you won't care where the pool is. Yeah, You're going right. to fall in anyway. Yeah. It's not my favorite drink right now. Oh, my. An LED lighted ice cube. That's got to be a new one. Does Uh, it make everything taste better, Russ, or don't you care? I'm wondering if they're going to be, at some point, they're going to have sensors in these things that will tell you when your drink is too cold, too hot, when you need a refill. 
I love it. Or, or maybe they'll tell you that you don't have a really pure ice cube, a real ice cube, if you've got one of those old-fashioned things. And, you know, there are people who are now ice cube aficionados. Did you know that? Who will only use a certain type of freezing process, a certain type of water, a certain container for the freezing process, because they believe that bad ice cubes dilute and change the flavor of good alcohol. Did you know that, Russ? Well, with scotch, that's true. <laughs> okay, there you go. I knew I was talking to the right guy. Thank you very much, <laughs> Georg. What can I say? I can't ask you to top those two. Just tell us what you're drinking. Well, how can you top this? I have a, I don't know. a cafe latte. I have a cafe latte right here from the same corporate coffee machine that uh, Marcus has been using. And I just learned, you know, I always thought that with coffee, it's, it's the coffee that matters. And if you have good coffee, then anything else really doesn't matter too much. What I learned was it's actually the milk. I was in Denmark uh, two weeks ago, and they have decent coffee, but they have the best milk. And the cafe latte in Denmark, superb, spectacular. Never had any better. Wow, very interesting. Wonderful, wonderful. And by the way, uh, Dave Fowler, a sponsor of this series, Future Business with Game Changers, says he's drinking a Starbucks veranda blend from his Keurig Ordered through the IOT. Well, thank you, Dave. And as Dave knows, and Russ may remember, they don't let Bonnie have caffeine drinks on radio show days. I wonder why. But, Russ Lefevre, we have a question for you. Does the LED ice cube have sensors in it that tells the bartender or the waitress when your drink is getting low so they automatically bring you the next one? Hey? No, it, it did not. No. <laughs> that, that's actually something that's very interesting, right? That could be another potential consumer use of what we're all talking about here. So, you know, if you, if you take yourself as a, a consumer user and look at some of the things going on around you. So, for example, I recently bought a new home, and in that we purchased a refrigerator that has all kinds of sensors in it that can communicate um, a variety of things, and that's in many ways where we think things are going, not only in the consumer world, but also in the business-to-business world. So sensors can tell um, performance issues, pressure issues, flow-through rates, uh, temp- um, all kinds of statistics on its performance, and that in turn can enable an organization to determine if they need to do predictive maintenance or preventive maintenance before things fall apart, before things break. We see a lot of this occurring across many different industries. It doesn't really matter where they are, what size they are, but the digitization is enabled in many ways through the sensor ability to pick up information and then transmit that information through a network where it can be Mm -hmm. analyzed, assessed, and then organizations can make decisions based on that. So we see a lot of this occurring. And as an example, um, here at a conference this, this past week, we have a, a development network uh, incubation group, and it's basically a bunch of guys trying to come up with new ideas. I saw a drone last night where people are attaching routers to drones, and they're tethered. They have a small electrical line attached to them, so they can fly perpetually as long as there's a power source. Mm-hmm. They typically have about a 500 to 1,000-foot radius, and they can fly over an area and provide router Wi-Fi capabilities picking up data in an area that maybe humans can't go into. So think of the implications of this with emergencies or environmental disasters Mm -hmm. or situations where people can't go in, but we need to still determine if, let's say, machinery, equipment, uh, computer systems, networks are still viable in those areas. Uh, That's something that, again, innovative thinking, forward thinking, uh, we think that that's going to continue. 
Mm-hmm. And we certainly hope so, and that's why we're talking today. And by the way, Russ, you can buy your own set of colorful changing LED liquid sensor lights in ice cube shapes on Amazon for seven ninety five plus free shipping for a party pack of 12. They illuminate automatically when placed in cold liquid. Okay, so there you go. Perfect for party night and wedding night favors. <laughs> what can I say? I am done with this promo now. But if anybody decides to put sensors in, ice cubes that tell the bar when your drink gets low, the art of the digital possible, just tweeted by David Fowler at hashtag SAP Radio. Uh, we need some uh, revenue for Dave for thinking of the idea. He's the founder of the idea. We also have a treat here. tweet here, a treat from Chuck Farris, who says, I agree with Russ, IoT moving business processes to device. Thank you, Chuck, for joining us here. Chuck is tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. Guess what? We've had enough fun in this segment. We're going to take a 60-second break. I'm going to have a little off-air chat with Marcus Lorenz and the panel. Marcus and I are going to decide where to come back with or what we're going to start the roundtable with when we come back in 60 seconds. So, Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We're talking today on the Future of Business with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP Services. Topic is creating game-changing value through digitization. You don't want to miss the rest of this conversation. My guests are Marcus Lorenz at BCG, Russ Lefevre at Cisco, and Georg Kube at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and we'll be after the break. Here we go. Justin out. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of business with Game Changers. We are in the future. The future is now. We're talking about creating game-changing value through digitization. Great panel today. Good conversationalists. That's what we look for here on Game Changers Radio. We have Marcus Lorenz. Oh, I'm going to pronounce everybody with a European flair now. Marcus Lorenz from BCG, BCG. We have Russ Lefebvre <laughs> from Cisco. And we have Guillaume Cubet from SAP. And I'm Bonnie DeGraham. There we go. I got it all out. Okay, let's get this party started. 
started. Time for our roundtable, 30 minutes nonstop. You know the drill. Marcus Lorenz is going to start us off. Marcus, let's talk about putting this into action, food and beverage. You sent me an interesting example of yogurt. I'm going to try to try to pronounce this. Something about a company called Land Libe, L-A-N-D-L-I-E-B-E. Started out with four flavors. They've got 96, including a seasonal flavor, hibiscus aloe vera. Oh, my God. I don't know whether to smile or choke. And cinnamon winter apple, but it's a complex production. Talk to me. Digitization, sensors, computers getting data, data getting computers. Why don't you wrap this all into one neat ball and tell us what it means? Yeah, uh, more than happy to do so, Bonnie. I mean, it basically takes Russ's example from yesterday from the rooftop party with the LED and the sensors in the glass into an industrial application. That very company that, that you just mentioned, those yogurts, 500 milliliters a day, that's about a sixth of a gallon. Uh, I had them daily um, during my youth as I spent most of my days outside. And as you just said, they ramped up from four to 96 different flavors. The overall consumption of yogurt, at least in Germany, has not been growing. I know it's a growth product in the U.S. It's not in Germany. Mm-hmm. So basically what's happening, the same volume just is dispersed over much more uh, variants and categories. The machine that is used to produce those yogurts, it has ever become even more, even faster and even more advanced. And it produces some 24,000 yogurts per hour. But, and that's coming back to my initial quote, in essence, Mm. this machine is pretty dumb. Uh, While it's very effective and very productive, it will do only exactly as we programmed it. So for example, if I have... Uh, hazelnut, say, in my, in my machine, and I put it into um, chocolate packaging, the machine will do exactly that. And you will have 24,000 hazelnut yogurts that from the outside would look like chocolate. Um, you might say, hmm, what's that? Uh, what's the problem with that? Well, two problems with that. The easiest one is we just call it a product loss or an error because we have to throw that away. An even more severe problem would be if a hazelnut yogurt hits the shelf, it looks like a chocolate label from outside, it might send an allergic consumer straight mm. from the supermarket to the emergency room, right? And now mm. this happens today, even though the machine is very advanced. And my belief is, and we are working on that, is in the future with the Internet of Technology and an IoT, this will not happen anymore because the machine and the whole packaging system would, will have what we basically call a digital twin, so it's their surrogate in the software world, and here it'll know what it's currently doing. And it knows that it's currently filling hazelnut, and it knows that it's a bad idea to fill hazelnut yogurt into a chocolate packaging. And that is a very simple application, taking Rust's example from last night, into a deep industrial process. Interesting. Now, now talk about the, the cost of these errors. I see here in your notes as an 8% of total cost in food production, $50 billion a year. Did you mention that? I didn't hear you say that yet, Marcus. No, I didn't mention that yet, but it's in, indeed the magnitude. If you, uh, Huge. If you look at the whole volume of food that is, that is produced and if you think about the food that is thrown away for, for such errors because it's so complex to manage all the complexities that we created, it's some 8% of the global food production or 15 billion U.S. dollars per year. And we don't even want to go into the discussion where this food that we basically have to throw away uh, could do good stuff in the world. Uh, we're just talking about the, uh, the cost at this point of time. 
Interesting. Food that we throw away. There's a whole other subject of sensors in your refrigerator when something's about to go bad. And if you don't want it, maybe you could donate it to a pantry or something before it's unconsumable. Interesting idea. And the ideas just keep coming. Russ Lefebvre at Cisco, please join this conversation. Yogurt, anything else you want to talk about on the point that Marcus just brought up? Please join us. Well, I think I think what Marcus is getting at is we're seeing this also in many other industries where Things are being done more dynamically, real-time, based on various conditions. So another way of looking at, if you will, the digitization of things is, uh, I think I think Georg alluded to it at the beginning, is the automation of processes, oftentimes previously that were manual. It's also then layering on top of that the data and then using that data for insights. So, for example, we're seeing restaurants experimenting with dynamically adjusting their product prices in response to demand or weather conditions, their inventory levels, or also the time of day. So they may adjust, for example, their pricing earlier in the morning or later in the afternoon or close to closing time. And this is, this is an example of just taking a lot of different information from a lot of different places and using it to make informed decisions. So they may decide that uh, we're really running low on a certain level of inventory. Uh, we can't make a certain... Uh, recipe, therefore, we either have to charge more or we may have to take it off the menu. Uh, or there could be converse situations. We're overstocked on certain things. We know that today the weather has gotten uh, hot or cold, and that might affect demand. People might, if, if it's, let's say, snowing out, demand might be hard because people can't drive to the restaurant, things of that nature. So we're seeing this happening all over the place. And one of the things that we feel is driving this is it's an expression we use from the basement to the boardroom, meaning a lot of these innovations are not always coming directly from the traditional places of IT and CIO uh, uh, organizations. They're coming from the business parts of the organization, the lines of business, the supply chain guys, the plant engineers, the techni- the, the, the patient administration, healthcare, the uh, education folks inside of schools. All of these folks that are on the front lines in the knife fight, so to speak, out there with customers and other businesses and partners, we see a lot of the ideas coming from those places. Okay. Georg Kubey, thoughts on this? The ideas, the technology, what's happening? Yeah, absolutely. Let me start with something that Markus said. He said, the overall consumption of yogurt has not changed. So that means people are not selling any more yogurt, and yet they're investing in technologies that help them diversify mm-hmm. on the flavors. So why would that be? We actually mm-hmm. see this in many, in many areas. The, the thing is that we as consumers have become so much more um, sophisticated. We're requiring solutions, products that are personalized, that are made for us, that cover our specific tastes and, and preferences, right? And yogurt is a perfect example. So I think... You know, I'd like to look at this from a business perspective where a company that is producing something today asks themselves, well, can I continue to do that in the future while the overall market is not growing and my competition may be catching up? So how can I differentiate? How can I create something that is even more appealing to my customers? Yogurt is a great example. Another great example is actually motorcycles. And I know Russ will love this because he rides a Harley, right, Russ? And, you know... Harley doesn't really sell motorcycles. They sell freedom. They sell individuality. Mm -hmm. They sell the thing just for you. And they take great efforts, and they have taken great efforts to actually make that happen in an efficient and effective way by creating a flexible manufacturing operations that, you know, is able from a number of 
um, uh, options and predefined configuration, I would say, patterns to define the bike for just you as a customer and yet produce it in a standardized production environment. So I believe that it, it is something where we can save costs because we don't, we, we don't create crap, uh, scrap and we don't throw away money. Uh, we throw away products, but even more, it is needed so that companies are able to differentiate further and, and deliver on what the customers want, which is a personalized product built especially for them, at least the perception of it. That's right. The perception of make for me rather than assembly line Ford technology, okay? You can have any car you want as long as it's black and made of metal, right? <laughs> right, uh, Georg? These Remember? times are over, definitely. That's yep. right. These times uh, that's are definitely over. That's right. We have evolved. Marcus, let's get you back on this conversation. Interesting notes from your co-panelists. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the point. Um, from bridging consumer expertise and consumer, uh, I would say, expectation and bringing that into an industrial world, this is exactly where Industry 4.0, Internet of Things, will help us because this is today um, basically a border that we have to surpass manually and, and carry out a lot of work and bring a lot of error, points for errors. And this will be different in our connected world where machines know what they're doing. Machines will connect to parts where a software that has designed a product will communicate with the machines and the factory that produced that, uh, that particular product. That will definitely bring us ahead significantly. Thank you. I'm going to change gears a little bit here. I'm looking at extensive pre-show notes from Russ Lefevre. We're European now, Russ. No more Lefevre. Sorry. Your, your profile has changed. We've elevated you to a European accent. Mine. Okay. Let's talk about what happens when a company becomes digitized. It's exciting. It's new. There are so many opportunities. However, you note in your notes there are obstacles and challenges. We're talking. Let's talk about the cultural changes. Let's talk about security issues. Let's talk about balancing your short and long-term goals, and let's talk about whatever your company cares about—the bottom line, business impact, both bottom line and business. Russ, why don't you touch on these, and then we will have your co-panelists chime in. Sure, sure. So I'm going to give an example again of the digitization topic, and I'll make it you know very relevant to my own day-to-day work. So uh, I, run a, I run a team of marketing folks inside of Cisco, field marketing team. And over the last couple of years since I've been here, we have been rolling out a new marketing automation software platform. I won't mention the name. It's a prominent vendor in the space. Um, essentially what it's doing, though, in many ways is digitizing the way we as professional marketeers do our jobs. And it's making us more effective, more efficient. It's also, as you said, Bonnie, it's impacting the bottom line. We have, uh, like I think a lot of companies out there, in uh, challenging economic times, we have, it seems to be perpetually flat or slightly decreasing budgets, always being asked to do more with less. And so one of the ways we're addressing that challenge is to bring tools like this into place where we, uh, we leverage best practices. We're putting automation in place. Now, the, the key, though, is this type of platform also collects information coming from uh, various web pages we put up. So we know uh, what kind of uh, pages, what sites people are going to, what they're interested in by where they go. It's very similar to the, the Amazon model. When you go out to Amazon and you click on something or you even hover your mouse over a page, all that information is being collected so that the mm-hmm. next time you go to Amazon's page, uh, you're, you're 
you're prompted or you're, you're, you're made visible to opportunities that might be relevant to your personalized shopping experience. We're doing the same thing in the business world. So that's just an example. So I think one of the things I get to is change means the adoption of new tools. It also means the ability to change your mindset, to understand that uh, the traditional way of doing things, it just won't be sustainable. Interesting. Thank you. Georg, thoughts on this? Yeah, I guess these are these are certainly drivers why you would mm-hmm. why you would want to drive change. But then there are also a couple of very, I would say, tangible reasons why this change could be difficult. It's not only cultural, but it's also, you know, technological. The the security is a big issue in the whole question around Internet of Things, um, and I would say it's far from being solved right now. We're making assessments where we're saying is the business value worth the uh, the potential risk we're taking. And in some cases, the answer is yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes people maybe don't do the assessment, and that's a really wrong situation or a bad situation. So I think apart from the cultural aspects and from the change is always hard aspects, there's a couple of very tangible things that need to be overcome. Standards is another one. Um, We don't really have standards today on how machinery equipment and processes communicate, especially across industries. That's something that will have to emerge. And so I think these are things that people are looking at when they say, um, you know, it's not easy to get into this new world, and, and we need to get over that change. Mm. Russ, any thoughts on this? Any other things you want to add? Yeah, um, I think that, um, well, we, we, we haven't really touched upon it, but security, I think, is a big challenge, too. Yeah, let's um, go there. there. There's both cybersecurity, there's logical security, there's physical security, and, and I think we've all seen the news mm. in the last several years, and it's getting it seems to be more and more common now. But the, the potential for information to be, you know, accessible to bad actors, um, as well as bad actors doing things to to the networks and to uh, the, the corporation and so on, I think that's a big challenge, and I think that's causing some hesitation uh, from folks that may be, you know, in a, in a perfect world would be more prone to early adoption and trying new things. So there's always the risk factor. Uh, I think that's something that's very significant in the adoption. Mm-hmm. Anybody else on the panel want to comment on risk, Georg or Marcus? Any thoughts on that security? It's to the point, what, what, what Russ said is not only if you think about fraud or someone coming there with a bad will. I even observed those discussions, you know, when people come in with goodwill. And you just say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm this little machinery producer or I produce a turbine and my, the data from that turbine is now connected to the Internet for all kinds of good purposes, right? Predictive mm-hmm. maintenance and the like. But who ultimately owns that data? And uh, do the guys that are involved in that change in extracting data, transmitting data, analyzing data, do they at the end of the day know much better how a motor operates, how a gear operates or how a turbine operates? Maybe much better than the uh, than the original manufacturer of that stuff. So this creates a lot of a whole range of anxieties and an open question that are, that are should be resolved when we when we move forward with that topic. Good, good point. And, and Russ, I want to circle back to the idea of the cultural change. I brought up in the opening of the show whether the data scientist will be just a figurehead or really the hot new job to go to as companies become aware that digitization is inevitable and they need it. They have to embrace it. They have to do it right. Is upskilling the staff, is everybody going to want to go back to school to become a digital scientist? What's your observation, Russ? And then everybody else chime in. Go ahead. 
Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Yes, um, I mean, there is there is a need because, you know, things are changing so fast. I mean, I, I don't want to say how old I am, but I'm an old guy. Uh, I have, I have oh, say it, Russ, guys. say it. How old are you? <laughs> Come on. I, I'm in my early 50s. So oh, you're have, a baby. I, what are you talking? Go ahead. I have, Go many, ahead. I have many millennials on my team, and mm-hmm. they are absolutely coming at business challenges and, and the, the way we do things in a very fresh way. You know, they're coming to problems with <laughs> less of, I guess you could say, history of, of seeing this. They come at it from a different angle. And in many ways, they're coming at it with how can we automate, digitize, how can we make these things better with technology? Uh, just, just in my world, the marketing function within a big technology company. But yes, so to, to address your point, I do think upskilling is important. I think it will be necessary. There's so much changing so fast. Uh, I don't think it would be viable to say we're going to keep doing the same thing we've been doing. So what we've been doing is, for example, we actually put a lot of our folks through courses, both internally oriented. You know, we have both video on demand, we have e-learning, we have intranet courses. We also sponsor things outside of the uh, the organization with universities and uh, you know thought leader organizations, influential organizations, things like that. Okay, Georg, thoughts on this? What do you think? What do you see? Yeah, yeah. Actually, Russ, you said millennials, right? We also call them Generation Y. You actually know why they're called Generation Y? (laughs) 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 That's great. I like it. Well, this is well, well. This is because when old guys tell them to do something, they say, "Why? Why? No, no really." <laughs> and then Georg, so they, the old guys, the old guys become the generation. Why not? <laughs> well, no, the because I say so. No, no. Um, good the, enough. It, it's it's a it's a very good point. These guys are looking at things very differently. They approached projects very differently, and you know, we sometimes look at them and say. You know they have a they have an attention disorder or a de- attention deficiency because they're constantly checking on blogs and on jams and whatever. But in reality, they just process information much faster than we do. And there was an interesting study uh, or a project even done here in Germany at the University of Aachen where they have developed a new electric car, and they were able to do this in record time because they deployed the the technical means and and communication standards that the Generation Y uses, meaning ad hoc and meaning. Um, you know, with blogs and with, with chat and these kind of things, and not following standard processes. And they were a lot faster and had a great result. But that's just a side, side thing I wanted to mention. Um, data mm-hmm. scientists, a very interesting role. And we tend to think that we now get all this data from the network and we need the data scientists to make sense of it. And I think that is partially true. However, when we engage in real-life project with projects with manufacturers of machinery that want to you know, gather data about their equipment and they want to make sense of it, then we're seeing that data scientists only get you so far. What we still need, and we, we still need in a very, uh, I would say, high, on a very high level, is the engineering knowledge to understand what is actually happening in that machine. I mean, what kind of mechanical parts are there? What is their length? What is their weight? What is their, their, their own frequency? What is, you know, at which speeds do they have what kind of patterns in terms of frequency? Things that data scientists could never find out, but the engineer who actually built the equipment knows because that's how that was laid out and it was calculated 
and, it, and, and the dimensions were set. So I think, yes, data scientists are needed. We will see this role emerging. But all other roles, the one that designs a product, the one that manufactures a product, they will also need to upskill because the, the, <clears throat> the data that they create will now be used not only to manufacture the equipment or the machinery, but also to maintain it and to interpret the operational data mm-hmm. that's coming from it during operations. So, yes, upskilling is definitely needed. I think the data scientist is important, but maybe a little bit overrated. They can't do everything. Engineers are still very, very important, too. Overrated. That's an interesting comment. Okay, mm-hmm. Georg, while I have you, I want to move. Let's see. It's 44 after. We've got to go to our crystal ball predictions round by 52. So we've got eight minutes. I want to introduce a new a new area of conversation here based on your notes. Something interesting popped up to me on my screen. You say, as companies think about applying IoT-based technologies to their products, the old question of what is core and what is context for a company's business are renegotiated. Core versus context. Are these companies always had a core business? Is context a new concept in business goals, in business planning, in, in business programs? What do you see, Georg? Well, I mean, the context of core and context has always been there, right? It was used to, mm-hmm. de- to de- define what you want to outsource and what you, what you want to keep in your own uh, company and where you want to keep your own intellectual property. And I think, you know, a great example is if you look at the automotive industry where core was to build cars, build engines and, you know, driving dynamics and all that kind of stuff. And context was the entertainment system. And I think we've seen in the last two years or so that that is starting to change. There are cars which are basically defined by the way they are embedded in the digital networks. And I mean, the Google car is the latest I would say, representation in that, in that path, and maybe not everybody will go there, but you can clearly see that the core has become how is the, the car part of, an, of a network? How is it integrated? How can it drive autonomously? How can it consume content and so on from the Internet? And the fact that it also drives has become less and less important. And, and this is something that all companies need to do. You know, if you look at it from a regional perspective, I would say, by and large, the the German companies are coming from the very solid engineering mechanical uh, background. We've always been building mm-hmm. machines that were acknowledged across the world for their perfection on a mechanical level. In America, the, the strong point has always been information technology. And, you know, we're now coming at the same goal from two ends. The, the Europeans are coming more from the let's add, let's add digital capabilities to our mechanical stuff while the American culture is more coming to let's try to apply business models that have worked in the digital world to the physical, to the mechanical world. And, and that is the question. What is core? What is context? We still believe core is the mechanical stuff and context is digital, while in the America it's, it's the other way around. And I believe we, we need to look at this from case to case. And in some cases we may realize that actually the pure mechanics will become table stakes. Of course, a pump needs to be able to pump liquids and it needs to have precision and everything, but the real differentiator will be, can I control that pump from remote? Can I maintain it from remote? And can I maybe tie it into a complex network of uh, whatever uh, water, uh, you know, uh, a water network so they work in, in, in unison with other pumps? So this is what I mean by, you know, rethink about what is core, what is context, and probably we will have a couple of surprises here uh, in some of the companies. 
I think we're going to have a lot of surprises. Marcus Lorenz, why don't you surprise us and comment on what Georg just brought up? Core, context, what's your POV? No, I'm, I'm, I'm with him. I'm, I'm a mechanical okay. engineer. I build machines, so I, I believe in the, in the beauty of that. But I also see that, you know, without mastering the data part of that, machines could, or pumps, as Georg said, could, could become what I say, it's just dumb actuation. It's just the movement that's happening somewhere controlled by a, by a random place somewhere else. So those who master both, who can bring basically the value of mechanical parts and combine that with a business model, and whether it's that I create your very, very personal yogurt for you, Bonnie, or mm-hmm. um, whether I build basically a software, it, um, a predictive um, service model, for example, for my machinery, and I tell my clients, um, go ahead and, and fix and upgrade that machine before it breaks, and I charge money from that. Um, that's another thing, but I think it's indeed breaking down that borders that have been classically, uh, it's not only the U.S. and Europe, it's also if you go to the leading universities of this world, you have the engineers and you have the IT guys, and slowly, but I think progressively, those two worlds are merging together. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see. Russ, anything you want to add? We're almost ready to go back to Marcus to start the crystal ball predictions round. I'm just going to go around the table quickly. Any closing well, remarks on the round yeah, table? I mean, go I'm ahead, Russ. To, yeah, just real quick. Um, last night, taking a cab from one location to another, I was I heard a sensor, some sort of a beep going off in the car, and I asked the driver, what was it? He said that his cab company had installed uh, a device that allows... Uh, him to be notified when he gets too close to a car in front of him or too close to the meridian or the shoulder of the road. Now, this is pretty, this is not that surprising to us on the call. I think we've all seen these things, and many cars now come with this built in. But what was interesting, again, was uh, this is a cab company using this information in isolation in many ways, okay? They were not necessarily giving this information, for example, to the city of of Las Vegas, because the city of Las Vegas could use that information to say, you know what, this particular section of road, we see a lot of incidents where cars drift off to the shoulder because perhaps Mm -hmm. the road gradient is too severe, or maybe this is where we we see dangerous uh, light conditions with the sunset at 5.30 p.m., whatever it might be. That's just another example of information in a real-world example. We all see it around us, but this is an example of digitization and the information, but in this case... It's not being used for anything other than the cab company, just trying to make sure the drivers drive safely. And wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? And and by the way, there's so much going on around the world with Uber, and you wonder about safe driving when anybody can get in a car and say, I've got the app, I want to be your driver today. You wonder about standards, and you wonder about putting that type of, of uh, shield type of, uh, I'm thinking of... Uh, safety checks into anybody's car, Russ, for example, who wants to be an Uber driver, do you require them to have that kind of safety mechanical app to help them do a better job? It's great to have Uber, but who's controlling the quality of the driving? Any thoughts on that quickly, Russ? Um, no, I agree. I think what you've said is spot on. Um, there's there's going to be a lot of information that needs to be verified um, and processed, both from the driver from the road, from the car, from, you know, the destination, all these things coming together, I think, is where a lot of this is going. Uh, but I think right now it's, it's, it's a lot of isolated networks, a lot of mm-hmm. isolated instances of information in pockets that are not necessarily talking to each other. 
Exactly. And that's why we're talking to each other. And Marcus Lorenz at BCG, I'm talking to you. It's time to slide into home plate and talk about the future. I think we've kind of been doing that for the whole hour, but let's focus on, I love the year 2020, Marcus. I told you in advance. Uh, let's see where you can see clearly in the crystal ball tomorrow, next week, next year, five, 10 years out. What would be different about this conversation about game-changing value through digitization. I'm going to give you 90 seconds for your predictions. Marcus Lorenz at BCG, go. <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. I think it's mm-hmm. the year 2025, and it'll take us some time to implement all those things that are easy to understand but not so easy to implement because we have a full industrial, large-scale world behind that. But in the year 2025, we will have smart machines, machines that communicate not only with each other but also with the parts that, that they are basically processing, and what's even more important to me, programming those machines will no longer be a rocket science that's only open to a few people who have studied the right things or uh, no machine coding, but it, it will be much easier. You, we, can, can, we can run apps on machines, so we can basically design not only process and design models, but we can also design business models from that. And overall, I think for, the, for society at large, it will mean that, yes, a couple of the elements that we just talked about it are clear. We are carving out mechanical work from our shop floors. It's happening. It's already been happening in the last 30 years, and it, it will go on. But I'm fully convinced that employment overall will rise because we will create new jobs, and not only the data scientists that we, all, that we talked about, mm-hmm. but we will bring people back into the job market, for example, with augmented reality classes that might not have the full education and experience to, for example, service a complicated machine. So I'm looking forward to that age and our discussion in 10 years. I, I, and I hope we get that. I've just suggested to Dave Fowler that we get together for a part two, because if he doesn't invite you back, I'll invite you back on another one of my series, because this is too good a conversation not to have part two. Uh, I like the optimism you expressed, Marcus Lorenz at BGG, about there will be new jobs created. I think everybody is worried. They see IoT, they see sensors, they see digital, and they see the big R word, R-O-B-O-T, taking over my job. What will I do? And there's a big question on the table we talk about sometimes. Will we even work in the future? Well, I hope heck yes, because I wouldn't get to talk to the three of you if I didn't have this job. So there you go. I like that optimism. Russ Lefevre, Russ Lefevre, I don't know what your name will be called in 10 years, but (laughs) Russ, I'm going to give you 90 seconds for your predictions. What do you see on the landscape going forward, Russ? Yeah, so I always try to kind of personalize it in my own experiences. And and so in the last several years, I've done several things. So the the financial services company that I work with, I, I interact with, and I'm a customer of, mm-hmm. they've, in the last couple of years, been pushing more and more personalized, interactive service with me through technology. They're connecting things that I do with them, both physically walking into a branch office, but also the things I do online. And they're creating a very um, intuitive, holistic customer experience for me. And they make it easy for me to make deposits. I can use my mobile phone, my, my cell phone, to make deposits. I can do things on my, on my smartphone or my iPad to interact with them. Uh, and then when I have to call them up on the phone, I have the same uniform, consistent experience. I think this kind of thing is going to continue across many industries, many businesses, as well as the public sector. The idea of the Internet of Things, all the various pieces of information that we as consumers are, are 
leaving out there, so to speak, on networks and whether, you know, we are interacting with a company face-to-face, online, and so on. All of this information is going to be, I think, coming together holistically so that businesses can interact with us in a much more uh, dynamic way real-time mm-hmm. fashion in a very personalized fashion. I think human, that's a major, human, human. Major Russ, I need, I need to thank you. I need to cut you and give time to Georg Kube. Georg, yep. we have, I'm going to give you 60 seconds for your predictions. Thank you, Russ. Sorry to cut you off. Georg, go ahead, please. Yeah, and that's fine because actually I'm going to latch on to what Russ just said. I think, you know, we've, we've seen tremendous advancements in scenarios and technologies and in the way people use Internet of Things technologies in in verticals, in pockets, in the industry, in the consumer space, in the public space. I think what we'll have by probably five years at the latest is a convergence on a couple of de facto standards. It will be protocols, which is fairly technical, but it will also be things like platforms. We will see platforms emerge that are cross-industry and that power um, you know, value chains from the manufacturer of a good to the end consumer uh, capturing the consumer experience in between and feeding that back into the development departments and what have you. So I think we will see a convergence of the isolated IoT scenarios that we see today into something much more holistic because finally there will be some standards emerging mainly in the area of platforms. Thank you very much. Great predictions from all three of you. Quick prediction from our sponsor, Dave Fowler. He says, the next IoT evolution, joining IoT islands to become IoT continents. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you, Marcus Lorenz at BCG, Russ Lefebvre at Cisco, Georg Kube at SAP. Thank you to our tweeters. Dave Parrish, good to see you at Parrish underscore Denver. Chuck Farris, thanks to see you. And Dave Fowler, thanks for a great panel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm looking forward to part two with these three panelists because as Dave promised me, he's inviting you back. So there, here's my call to action. And thank you to Justin, our our engineer at the Business Channel team. Call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Maybe it has sensors in it. Maybe it doesn't. But anyway, what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of Game Changers Radio presented by SAP and SAP Services. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.